1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, uh, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes a newsletter called "What Is Chen Buying? What Is Chen Selling?" And with respect to Chen's letter, you do need to put your name on a waiting list. We just uh, uh, completed now the uh, the new. Uh, new subscribers have been accepted for this quarter and so it will only be at the start of the next quarter uh, july 1st when we'll be accepting new subscribers but you do need to put your name on the list and to do that go to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com enter your name on the waiting list uh, for Chen's letter, if you're interested in that. And you can also subscribe to my newsletter anytime at miningstocks.com. And I will be talking uh, in the second hour of today's show at JTAylormedia.com a little bit about some of my stock picks for this month uh, in a newsletter that just went out uh, this morning to my paid subscribers. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Uh, and I would invite each of you to keep your questions and comments coming to questions, the number four, Taylor, questions. Uh, for taylor at gmail.com and i would like to invite you also to follow me on twitter and my handle there is jay taylor media i want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable our sponsors for today's show are caden resources Canamax resources and go gold resources i've titled today's show of kings and gold has china cornered the gold market Professor Frank Buckley will visit us for the first time, and David Jensen and Alastair McLeod return. Jim Rickards uh, was originally scheduled to be on the show today, but due to an illness in his family, will not be with me. He is scheduled, however, to be on the show uh, next Tuesday. The U.S. Constitution defined the dollar in terms of gold and silver, but our government has since ignored that constitutional mandate so that money is now created out of nothing. Uh, And they did that so that they could use that money, they can create out of nothing, to finance endless wars and vote-buying welfare promises. In short, because we have ignored the definition of money as gold and silver, America has degraded itself into an emerging dictatorship. In fact, I would remind you again that Jimmy Carter, an ex-president of the United States, recently said that America does not currently have a working democracy. So the country is now owned and controlled by a small minority of elitists who love war and socialism because so long as they are in charge of the printing press, then they are in a a position to use that money to enrich themselves at the expense of ordinary Americans. Because the American Constitution was a true revolution that gave power to the people and limited the power of our government, America was indeed an exceptional country. I believe that we once were... I believe that you could apply exceptionalism to describe America at that point in time. Even the power that the federal government was given was to be balanced between the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of our government. Now, however, since Americans have lost an understanding of what made us an exceptional country, we are in the process of giving up everything that made us special so that we are now losing both our liberties and our prosperity – as we um, uh, as we provoke other countries into endless wars around the world for the enrichment of the military industrial complexes, President Eisenhower warned us against. Well, we usually have Daniel McAdams on with us to talk about how America's power is being abused around the world. But today Daniel is traveling with his family from a visit with Ron Paul in Texas. He's heading back to Washington, uh, so we won't have Daniel on with us today, but I would expect uh, him to be on next week. Also, I would uh, urge you to go to the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Uh, There you can keep up with the, the kind of things that Daniel talks about on this show briefly. There's a wealth of information there about what our government is doing uh... around the world and what uh, i think what you get at the ron paul institute uh... is what doesn't meet the eye if you just rely on the uh... on the mainstream press the mainstream press has its own agenda it's to protect its privilege and the privilege of those that own the press uh... as i just noted jim Rickards will not be with us today to talk about currency wars and the major changes about to take place in the global monetary system however We will have a lot of discussion on geopolitics today and that same topic uh, with uh, David Jensen, who will be with me in a few minutes right after our first commercial break. I want to ask David about the GOFO rate for gold and why he thinks that uh, could be suggesting an upward explosion in the price of gold may be very close at hand. And then in the second hour of today's show, exclusively at Jay Taylor Media, Alistair McLeod will join me to talk about evidence he has gathered suggesting that China has amassed huge amounts of gold, far more than most Westerners believe, and that, in fact, Alistair thinks that uh, they may have already accumulated more gold than the U.S. Treasury claims to own. Alistair will also talk about how... Uh, Chinese desire for gold fits into the geopolitical world that is moving away from the petrodollar to uh, petro-gold. And I expect uh, he will have something to say about how the Ukraine conflict might fit into this overall geopolitical picture as well. But getting back to what was once American exceptionalism, at about half past the hour, Professor Frank Buckley will join me to talk about his book, The Once and Future King, The Rise of Crown Government in America. I will ask uh, Dr. Bruckley how it happened that an America that threw the King of England out in 1776 and thus gave power to the people has now fallen back towards a system so common throughout history, namely a move away from power of the people and by and for the people to a system of dictatorship and enslavement. Why are we going there? When we were given such a gift by our founding fathers. Alistair McLeod, as I said, will be joining me in the second hour exclusively at J. Taylor Media to talk about the evidence that he's gathered that suggests that China will or has amassed over thirteen thousand tons of gold, exceeding the U.S. Treasury claims, uh, and um, as such, may have cornered the gold market. And finally, in the second hour, I expect to provide some of my own thoughts and stock picks. That appeared in my monthly newsletter that went out today. Indeed, I do. I would say that there uh, that I'm extremely bullish on the gold uh, markets right now. I, I do think that we may have some more backing and filling here on the charts. We may have to see a little more time uh, of. Um, uh, where we don't go anywhere fast, but if, we, uh, if the markets continue in a sideway pattern here for another month or so, a couple of months perhaps, I Charles Nanner has, uh, has steadfastly uh, believed that we would not be heading higher uh, in the gold markets until July or August of this year. Um, and we could even see a test of the old lows. I think that's not uh, beyond question. However, folks like Alistair McLeod, uh, and David Jensen think that uh, we shouldn't count on that. He thinks that if both those gentlemen think that if we're uh, believing uh, that we might have a lower entry point for gold, we may miss the train as it moves out of the station. Uh, Jensen believes that's true uh, for reasons that he'll explain uh, as soon as we come back from our first uh, break. And Alistair also uh, believes that, that uh, the demand for gold uh, from China and elsewhere around the world the demand for physical gold, as, as, um, as opposed to the, uh, the markets that we are, uh, that we are uh, focused on, that the mainstream media focuses on, uh, the virtual markets, the paper markets are really not the ones that we should be paying attention to, as uh, Jensen will tell us. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away, because as soon as we come back, David Jensen will be with me to talk, talk about why he thinks the pressures are building. He talks about the GOFO rate and what that means and why you should be ready for the gold prices to rise very dramatically. Don't go away. We'll be right back with David Jensen.
0: The Business Community's First Choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
3: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.
0: Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol c-n-m-x-f
1: you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor Welcome back
2: to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, on a weekly basis, David Jensen, is with me once again to discuss the gold markets and the political, uh, economic and uh, geopolitical events that influence those markets. Uh, we like to have him come on every week for a summary. Thanks for joining me again, David. Morning, Jay. Really good to have you Um you know, it's uh, midday Friday here in New York uh, when we're recording this, and we're seeing uh, gold trading at around thirteen twenty or so. Of course, that uh, is known uh, as you've described it—the virtual market for gold. Um, of course, uh, I think that um, we have the real markets for gold, the real physical markets for gold too, and uh, so those two markets, as you've talked about uh, in past times on the show. But I want to ask you today about. Um, Alistair McLeod put out some, uh, a study last week, uh, a paper that was suggesting that the Chinese have imported an awful lot more gold than people realize, and he's suggesting that they may have even cornered the market with uh, having accumulated some 13,000 tons over the last number of years. To put that in context, that would be more than what the United States Treasury claims to hold. Do you have any, any thoughts about Alistair's works?
4: Um. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I saw his his paper, and it's uh, definitely a thought thought-provoking piece. Um, I think what we can see, uh, maybe back up a little bit, uh, the 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 numbers that he puts forth. Um, he's reliant on uh, reading between the lines because the gold market is so opaque, mm-hmm. and uh, he's done a, a very interesting job there in terms of putting those numbers together. And I, I really need to digest the numbers some more. But he definitely is confirming that there is a very strong pull out there for physical gold right now. And I think that we're seeing it um, uh, in London on the LBMA, which uh, trades uh, 9,000 tons of gold a day. Um, um, but it does also trade physical gold. And what we're seeing there is signals in the gold forward rate, or what is referred to as the go rate. And um historically, uh, paper money has paid a higher interest rate um, than gold for lending. And that has been reflected in a what is a what is called a positive gold forward rate, which is the difference between the two. So if there's a positive goFO, then paper money pays more. And looking back, uh, we, we have data that's available um, on the LbMA website back to 1989. Um, reflecting roughly 6,000 trading days. And and looking back from uh, July of 2013 and back, there were roughly seven days out of the prior uh, roughly 6,000 days over the the 24 years that there had been a a negative gold forward rate, Mm -hmm. meaning meaning that there was stress in the market and the demand for gold was greater than the demand um, for dollars. And really since last July of 2013, now we see that we've had uh, 108 days by my count out of roughly 190 days um, where the, the gold forward rate has become negative and or has been negative, And it has just started to turn negative again now over the last week or so. Mm. And, and it is uh, negative again today, um, uh, April 11. So these are indications that the gold price um, that the gold market is in a in a in a, a, a state which is unusual in terms of the demand for gold, and and what that means uh, uh, to my observances is that uh, to my observation is that the demand for gold is uh, for physical gold is uh, unprecedentedly high, mm-hmm. uh, so high that we're seeing that the gold go forward rate is negative for more than fifty percent of the time. Yeah. Whereas historically it had only been negative during periods of of gold market crisis. Mm-hmm. So what we can take from this is that there is some sort of crisis brewing in the physical gold market, and they are unable to resolve it. Um, on the China on the China side, you know the discussion of of China and, and Alistair's works, and as I say, I, I'm still uh, reading and reflecting on them. It takes some time to digest the information, but. You know, there's 5 billion ounces of gold above ground, or plus or minus about 150,000 tons. Um, and, you know, China has been pulling, um, you know, a substantial amount of gold off the world market. Uh, but if they have pulled the 13,000 tons of gold out of the market, as, as, um, as Alistair notes, um, that is just because there's a, a demand for more gold in China. And that demand should be met by the market function of pricing in a higher price. Mm-hmm. Now, what we've seen is that the, the gold price over the last three years has been driven down through the virtual paper money or paper markets, pardon me. Um, so there's, a, there's an imbalance between the pricing uh, of gold and the true market uh, demand for gold. One is uh, at record high in terms of demand and shortage, uh, unprecedented shortage and the other signal that we're getting from the market is a declining and now flat uh, gold price so we can see things are out of whack
2: Mm -hmm. yeah indeed and uh, I mean you've talked uh, before uh, on this show about the you know, when the, when these two markets, the fantasy market, I like to call it, or you use the virtual market, the paper markets, I, uh, you know, when they'll come into sync with the real physical markets, and I think you indicated that, uh, well, when the shelves are empty in the West, if Alistair is right and you have this enormous amount of gold or even if he if he's overstated it we okay. know there's a huge amount of gold going in in China and it's coming largely from the West yeah uh, then it uh, could could this uh, goFO rate per, perhaps be saying that the shelves are starting to get empty
4: yeah the, and, and that is backed up by the reports of intermittent disruption of uh, availability of gold in terms of the raw material uh, that the, that the refineries in Switzerland and other places are receiving that there is now. It's like an engine starting to run out of of, um, a gas. You know, it it doesn't just stop all of a sudden. It tends to sputter a little bit before it it stops. And I think what we're seeing here is a sputtering um, in the gold market. There's a disruption. We're getting signals. Mm -hmm. The the demand that we're seeing from China, maybe just um, recap some thoughts there, is that, you know, China uh, started the paper money uh, system back in around 900 A.D., and between 900 and, and 1,500, they had uh, nine currency failures um, in China. And, you know, the latest uh, currency failure that we've had in China was in 1948 uh, with the yuan collapse at that time. And, and just to give you a sense of the, the, the price points of a yuan versus a U.S. dollar, in 1945, it was 20 yuan to the dollar. And three years later, uh, in 1948, it was 20 million yuan to the dollar. <laughs> Wow. So, so we're seeing, you know, they were seeing then massive money printing to meet the the debts and the demands of the day, and we're also seeing that now in China. The Zero Hedge article there that was summarizing um, uh, private bank lending of, of fifteen trillion dollars uh, lent over the last five years internally in China, and with Ch- with China having a, a living memory of currency failure uh, from the nineteen forties. They would. Uh, the people who were around them would certainly be seeing the signs today with this amount of lending into the Chinese economy that would remind them <coughs> of the consequences of these types of of uh, money money printing schemes and and the ultimately where it ends up, which is massive currency debasement and ultimately it's, it becomes a valueless currency when it continues. So they know the signs. They are moving strongly into physical. Um, in the West, you know, we are price followers, and we are really trend followers. And the trend, if we look on a three-year chart, it still looks negative. We're within the roughly within the downtrend. Uh, we may be starting to get to a little bit to a point of breaking out. But you know, the whole point is that the people that talk about price and talk about trend, to me, are really being distracted from the the, the true story. When we're following price trends and breakouts and other things. Is that the price is being set in a virtual trading market and there is a parallel market which is the physical market which has never been stronger mm-hmm. so I think I think that's what it gets right down to in the end is that you know we're, we are looking at trend and potential for it to rise and is it going to break out? Uh, meanwhile, the Chinese and those uh, who understand um, uh, the greater picture, uh, uh, through living memory of, of the experiences that people have had, they're simply moving into the asset. It's not, is it going to go down from here? What's it look like? It's been going down for three years. It's like, you know what? We've got something going on with the currency. We need this uh, asset to back ourselves up through what is coming because the, the game has not played out yet. And it, and it doesn't play out well um, when you enter into these money printing schemes. Yeah, I would like to just remind our listeners that, uh, an
2: interview that I did with Alistair McLeod on this very topic about, um, the, uh, China cornering the gold market, Alistair believes that they may be in a position to have done that or achieve that. That interview will follow the first hour. It will be on the second hour of today's show at jtaylormedia.com. Jtaylormedia.com. Well, David, let me ask you, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to, uh, technical analysts that I talk to on a regular basis or mm-hmm. listen to or read their work, uh, Uh, Charles Nanner being one of them who's been very good in the past in terms of calling the virtual market. Uh, You know, he's suggesting that we won't be seeing a bottom here in the cycle for this market until about July or August. And maybe he's going to be right. Time will tell whether he's right or wrong. But I think you believe that this GOFO, uh, negative GOFO rate, is is probably suggesting that uh, it might be dangerous to wait
4: yeah, uh, New York and London um, are levered gold markets, and they have leverage of the order of a hundred to one of paper versus real, uh, uh, real metal. And what we have now is a. Uh, I look at it really as a, as a. It's a kind of a harsh uh, judgment, but it's really a confidence game, which is being operated in New York and London. And this confidence game in gold is running headlong into. A rush into the asset of which they are uh, maintaining a, a price c- control and a price perception, mm-hmm. and really a value perception in the West. Mm-hmm. Right? We see the value based upon market trend, not on its innate value, which is right. I think unfortunate, and, and probably going to change. But uh, and we are on, we are really oblivious to the to the signs around us of currency devaluation and debasement, and economic destabilization. Uh, the Chinese and the Asians in general, and I think the Germans. Um, to, to a large extent, as well, they know uh, the, the the signs of, of uh, currency debasements and what and what follows. Yeah. I, I I also find it interesting that Pakistan I saw a note last week had refused to sell two million ounces of gold to the IMF. Hmm. Interesting. And that to me, yeah. So I mean, why does the IMF want Pakistan's gold to begin with? I know it was the first thing that they um, ushered out of the Ukraine when uh, the crisis was on. And, and why do they now need uh, Pakistan to sell 2 million ounces of gold when, um, you know, the, all these countries can print as much money as they need?
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good question. That's uh, food for thought, no doubt about that. Well, uh, yeah, it, it definitely seems that we're going to be talking uh, in the next segment. We're going to be talking to Jim Rickards uh, also about the Ukraine and, and uh, his previous book, Currency Wars. Uh, anything else you'd like to add today? David?
4: Well, I think in closing, Jay, that the, the concept, and I've mentioned it on um, in other interviews, is secure the asset, uh, mm-hmm. and really, uh, I think it's essential to ignore the day-to-day price action, a month-to-month price action, um, given that we're dealing with virtual trading and not trading in the real asset. Mm-hmm. Se- secure the real asset, um, ignore the virtual markets, because um, these things resolve themselves with much, much higher prices, and, and who knows where the digital price goes.
2: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's uh, very good, uh, very good advice, uh, David. Thank you very much for being with me. Again, we look forward to talking to you weekly for an update on uh, on the events that are driving the gold markets, both the virtual and the real gold markets. So, thank you very much uh, for being with me again. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, Jay. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next, as I mentioned, Jim Rickards, and I will ask him about. Uh, so I'll talk to him about some of David's views, as well as uh, the growing tensions uh, between the United States and Russia, and how that may play into the currency wars that uh, Jim wrote about in his previous book. And also, want to talk to him a little bit about his latest book called *The End of Money*. So, don't go away. We'll be right back after the commercial break with Jim Rickards.
0: comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño Project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface, in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.
0: Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Brunner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, Jim Rickards was originally scheduled to be our guest during the first hour of today's show. Unfortunately, his wife is is ill. And uh, Jim was not able to come on to the show with us today. We do expect that he'll be with us next week, however. So some of those issues that uh, that David Jensen just raised, we'll look to hold on to and ask uh, Jim Rickards next week. In any event, I am very pleased to say that I do have another outstanding guest waiting here with me. His name is Professor Frank H. Buckley. He is a foundation professor of law. He has taught at George Mason University School of Law since 1989, and before then was visiting Allen Professor of the University of Chicago Law School. And he has also had some experience in universities in Paris as well. His law law degrees are from McGill and Harvard. Professor Buckley is the author of numerous books and articles on law, and economics and is published in many leading journals including the journal of legal studies international review of law and economics and public choice his most recent books are the once and future king the rise of the crown government in america uh... and the american illness was another book he wrote essays uh... on the rule of law and fair governance um, Just Exchange, A Theory of Contract, and The Morality of Laughter. Sounds like a lot of very interesting books. We want to talk about one today, and that is uh, The Once and Future King, The Rise of Crown Government in America. Welcome, Professor Buckley, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Jay, thanks so much for having me. It's a really interesting uh, subject and, uh, and one that caught my eye because I think, uh, just on the, on the face of it at least, the notion that we have returned to an America before the revolution is, is an idea that I've had uh, as I've watched um, over the last number of years the evolution of what's taken place in America i'm I'm 67 years of age so've I've had some experience I've lived two-thirds of a century in this country and I've seen a lot of changes uh, since that point in time so basically your your idea here the title of your book the once and Future King the Rise of Crown Governance of an America is really uh, something that I believe is in the making right now and so I want to ask you um, we've seen the growth of uh, of the executive branch of government. We were supposed to have uh, three equal branches that kept, kept each other in check. How has this happened? How have we evolved into uh, into a government that is really no longer by the people and for the people, but is essentially uh, for the executive? Well, there are a couple of reasons, Jay. Um, one is
5: just the growth of the regulatory state. This is common throughout the first world, uh, maybe throughout the entire world. Uh, whatever kind of government you have, we're now governed a lot more by rules and regulations than we are by by statute law. And when that happens, the bureaucrats have a lot of power, and the only person who can basically control the bureaucrats is the chief executive. So he appoints the heads of departments, he appoints cabinet, uh, he appoints uh, political representatives throughout the system, And he runs the administration. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is is the the rise of of media figures or the rise of rock star presidents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, it's it's worldwide, but it's particularly powerful here in this country. And uh, that's happened all over. But there are special reasons why it's particularly a problem in a presidential system. And the reason is the checks and balances we had hoped for don't work as well as we wanted. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't see... We, Go ahead. You know, well, you know,
5: what you learn about the Constitution is we have a separation of powers. I mean, if, if anybody knows anything about about the government, about the Constitution, they think separation of powers. But what has happened is the separation of powers has served to immunize the president, from criticism. Mm -hmm. Impossible to impeach the fellow. He can hide behind a teleprompter. If there are controversies going on, fast and furious and so on, Benghazi, um, he can play out the game. I mean, he can just delay things uh, and avoid criticism that way. And so it's... which you can't so easily in a parliamentary system.
2: Mm -hmm.
5: So there's been a tendency to turn presidential regimes into presidents for life, we're not there, we're not even close to that, but um, the dangers of a centralization of power are are certainly there.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, presidents for life, I mean, maybe not in the person of one individual, but is there an institution of the executive that has now gotten itself so attached to other interests uh, perhaps... Corporate interest uh, interest of large uh, banking interests and so forth that have now so much power that they are able to buy their way into our government.
5: Well that's true I mean you're you're you have a strong concern with respect to uh, where we are economically in America mm-hmm. and one thing I've noticed over time is that in rankings of economic freedom America has been dropping like a stone mm-hmm. It used, used to be we were number two or you know maybe right after Hong Kong. Not so many years back, and now on one measure, Cato Institute we're number nineteen, and every country ahead of us is 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 parliamentary, uh-huh. and and so every democracy ahead of us is parliamentary. So so so, the danger of one man rule, it's there, and I think it has to do with I think it helps explain a, some economic decline. Uh-huh. When you get when you get. Um, Rules made by one person, even though elected, but who's in office and and who can do pretty much what he wants. That's that's dangerous. We, you know, there's also we have term limits, but there's also the Argentinian solution of having your spouse succeed you. Uh-huh. And we may see that in 2016. <laughs> yeah, it's, in fact, it's, there's a there's a bumper sticker here in town and in, in, in Washington. Hillary slash Michelle 2016 <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm
2: that's interesting that's very interesting also though on the Republican side uh, there's uh, more and more talk of another Bush uh, yep. and you know so Bush Clinton Bush Clinton and I'm wondering uh, the other night we saw a picture of, uh, of, of former President Clinton and and George W uh, sitting together at the uh, at the finals and the uh, playoffs uh, the final tournament game in the uh, college tournament game um, and I guess there's nothing wrong with that. Let's, uh, no. it's, it's nice that we can uh, continue on and be cordial with one another, even if we have differences. But I wonder sometimes how much the differences are between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, other than some perhaps uh, somewhat somewhat more superficial views of the world. It seems to me that the same... Military-industrial complex that uh, Eisenhower warned us against uh, is very much in play. Whether it's whether it's Obama or whether it's Bush.
5: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I don't want my book to sound like an anti-Obama screed. I think I think Obama has turned the notch quite a bit in the direction mm-hmm. of one-man rule. But it's an institutional problem, and we saw a fair bit of that from George W. Bush and from presidents beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an institutional problem, and both parties have people who are, well, I guess I could call them presidentialists, people who want a strong presidency. Um, and I think the battle in the future to save the Constitution will be between presidentialists and congressionalists. Uh, and in the Republicans, there are, there are plenty of there are plenty of presidentialists who think in terms of national greatness and fighting wars and all that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it certainly there doesn't seem to be too many people out there who, uh, and it seems to me that almost anybody who wants to run for president, if you look in the Senate and among the governors now on the Republican side, uh, not too many of them are. are Looking for smaller government, or for the kind of uh, balance, return to a balance of power uh, among the three uh, branches uh, that, uh, say, Ron Paul would espouse. Um, yeah, well, Did you see anybody? Uh, and and if anybody were to do that, would they stand a chance of getting elected?
5: Well, I don't know. I mean, talking about the characters of people who run for president, I think you're you're kind of presumptively mad. First of all, you, <laughs> you got to have a strange personality. Of, yeah, you know, you I know, agree. Glory. I don't, yeah. Well, my heroes are at this point are people like Daryl Issa, mm-hmm. who are trying to hold the administration's feet to the fire with respect to things like Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. We had a hearing here the other day where Louis Gomart asked respectfully a question of Eric Holder, and was basically ridiculed. And mm-hmm. and you know nobody in the media seemed to think that there was anything wrong with this. Yeah, I I I, I find that worrisome. I I I would like to see congress
2: try to redress the balance i don't uh, and why the media isn't more balanced and why it isn't interested in uh, in seeking the truth uh the media seems to be very much in favor of a powerful executive as well yeah they're monarchists and the, <laughs> the people are too stupid uh, i guess is the idea we need no. To have. It's, it's it's
5: well you know you talked about being around for a little while. I, I by the way, I moved to the States from Canada twenty nine oh. years back. Or twenty five years back. Uh huh. Incidentally, you'll you'll like this because of your show. Uh, I'm due to become a citizen this month. I'm going to take the oath. Uh-huh. And guess what day? April fifteenth. It's like <laughs> welcome to America. Here's the deal. Yeah. <laughs> so I I would like to see a congressional party arise, which will try to put some of this in check. Mm-hmm.
2: So we look for a congressional party, perhaps. But where do they get any traction? Because anybody that's outside of the mainstream is just shunted by the by the media.
5: You know, ultimately, you know, you can't trust the media, and you sure can't trust academics. And it ultimately comes down to the people themselves. And and I was going to mention, you, you know. It's not the same electorate it was when I moved here in 89, and it wasn't the same electorate you saw when you were growing up. Uh And partly it's the culture, partly it's new voters who just aren't educated about the Constitution, who don't take it seriously. You know, I I think there probably are a fair number of people who would be very happy to vote for President Putin, provided he legalized drugs. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, then we have immigration and I'm an immigrant and I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I I, I think immigration is a tremendous source of growth to a country, Mm -hmm. but particularly where you try to get immigrants who are going to add to the economy. The other part of it is everybody talks about the economics of this, but the other part of it is, um... What are their views about government? I mean, right now there's a debate about legalizing all the "quote illegals" unquote. But you know, I'm thinking that they didn't come to this country because they read the Federalist Papers. No. In other words, they, they you know, there's the style of government to which they were familiar in the countries from which they came. We're not talking you know, England or France, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or even necessarily China. We're, we're, we're talking about countries which have strong men leaders
2: mm-hmm. frequently. Sure, These are not people who are going to be upset by an you know, all-powerful president. but yeah. they're used good to. good point. I hadn't thought of that, for sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I mean, throughout the course of human history, what we're getting now seems to be much more in line with what, what, with what was typical. It, uh, I've always said that uh, what we had in 1776 was, an, was really an anomaly uh, yep. for the most part from history. And, uh, and, and the blessings that we've enjoyed, the prosperity we've enjoyed, is in large part due to the fact that people have been free and I think uh, didn't accept or didn't expect much from government. Uh, they were looking uh, to their own resolve, and uh, maybe there was a spiritual element that's not there these days. I, I'm thinking that may be part of the issue. Uh, if you if you don't trust in a supreme being, then you trust in Caesar uh, to take care of all your problems, it seems to me. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it is it is uh, troubling to me that the executive orders, uh, a president can virtually uh, order anything he wants, and, and it's not held in check. Uh, the Congress doesn't seem to... I mean, what... Well, Obama can can decide to kill people if he wants to, and there's nobody to stop him. All he has to do is say, I think he's a threat to our country. Yep, and uh, the press will say, that's okay, he'll kill the right people. Yeah, exactly. He'll never make a mistake.
5: You've got an economic focus in your problems. Mm -hmm. Let me mention one example of this, which a lot of people didn't pick up on. The bailout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not a fan of the bailout, of the TARP bailout. But I a mean, trillion dollars given to the president to spend on his buddies. Uh-huh. But the author, the appropriation was to rescue quote financial institutions unquote. Uh-huh. Now you'll remember, eighty billion went to GM and Chrysler. Uh-huh. We're not talking GMAC. We're talking the car manufacturers. Uh-huh. In other words, there was no appropriation as is required by the Constitution. Yeah, absolutely, for the payout to the car manufacturers, which you know, which was essentially a bailout of the unions. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. Do you do you remember anybody making a stink about that? Because I sure don't.
2: Not too you many. Know, not too many. Not, yeah. No. It, uh,
5: so, you know, so Congress basically abdicated, and and it, and it didn't want to take on the president, and, and partly it's structural because. In the case of battles between Congress and the presidency, on the one hand, you have the one person elected by the country at large, you know, as opposed to a Prime Minister from some writing here or there, versus a fractious group of disorganized four hundred and thirty five legislators mm-hmm. led in the House by a speaker from some place in Ohio, which you know which which maybe you know of since you're from Ohio, but mm-hmm. I sure don't know. So there's no contest. I mean, mm-hmm. power gravitates towards the one from the many. Mm-hmm. And then, you you know, you've got the regulatory state and you've got the media. And and so the president um, can make laws by, by just picking up a pen or not enforce laws mm-hmm. he doesn't like or spend money any way he wants or go to war any way he wants. Uh, boy, that's 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 got to be
2: that's, a little troubling. That's that's very troubling. But let me run this one by you, Professor Buckley. The um, uh, you know, I'm I'm guess I'm older than you, but 1971, Nixon took us off the gold standard, and he did that because otherwise he would have had to go to the American taxpayer, the American people, and ask for higher taxes to finance a war and to finance Johnson's Great Society. Very not very popular politically to do that, so he started issuing debt, and we were under the old Bretton Woods system in which gold was the backing for the dollar. Mm-hmm. And De Gaulle said, "I've seen this picture before. I don't want. I don't like it. I want the real money. Don't give me your fraudulent paper stuff." And there was a drain on the gold, uh, you know, on our gold supply. So Nixon unilaterally defaulted on the Bretton Woods uh, obligation, under Bretton Woods, uh, the obligations under Bretton Woods he defaulted on. And from that time on, then, there was not that sort of natural constraint on the issuance of, of money, which uh, since the United States coming out of, the, uh, out of World War II as a victor, uh, our side, we were the leading country, and we had all the power, and we could basically dictate to our allies, or to th- the people that we defeated, and our allies, what we wanted to do, and so we did. And so there was no longer that sort of natural constraint on spending. So I would argue that if we hadn't, uh, if if Nixon hadn't defaulted uh, under the gold standard, uh, the international gold standard, that we would have uh, that that what has happened and what you just talked about the lack of appropriations from Congress would not have been possible. Any thoughts on that?
5: Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, if you take a dollar or a penny from 1900, it's worth about a dollar today. It's It's been ongoing, but you're right, Nixon is, is one of the chief villains in, in, in all of this. Uh, as as to this and, of course, many other things, um, when people talk about the abuse of the uh, an all-powerful presidency. They often—it's—it's it's always a really partisan debate.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, one side yes. talks about you know the imperial presidency. They think of Nixon. Another mm-hmm. side thinks of Obama. It's all of them. Yeah. You know, and I—I I, I, I wish it were easier to impeach a president. i would like to see power return to Congress. And a real separation of powers, yeah. not, not not what we have now. I mean, separation of powers, for example, gives us gridlock. But gridlock now is used as an excuse by the president to do whatever he wants. You mm-hmm. can't pass yeah. a law. He says, okay, I'll do it. I'll, yeah. I'll just write it." Right. Somebody, uh, somebody, uh, I think John Podesta back in Clinton days
2: said, uh, stroke of the pen, law of the land. Pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty neat. All right, pretty, yeah. pretty totalitarian. Uh, yeah. Well, we did have we did have an impeachment uh, uh, hearing, a trial, and actually an impeachment of, of President Clinton. It seemed to me uh, over some issues that might not have been nearly as important as some others that he might have been impeached under. Uh, same would go for his predecessors. I would argue uh, the notion that you can kill anybody any time, uh, and Americans don't need to have a trial things like that I mean there's many different issues I think that were probably more important than Monica Lewinsky and whatever sure. uh, whatever the president was doing with her um, you know as distasteful as that might have been but um, it just seems to me do you think that was maybe an abuse almost a mocking of the system in a sense well you mean the, the, the Monica the, the Lewinsky situation with, yeah, yeah. It, well
5: that was uh, that was an unsightly distraction from yeah. the business of government all around, but you know, but let me you, you, a, a study of the impeachment process and of Clinton particularly concluded that he defeated the impeachment, the conviction. Mm-hmm. He wasn't impeached. Mm-hmm. He defeated the conviction by by slow walking the process for years until he was able to make Ken Starr look like the villain. Yeah, and <laughs> and that's what saved him. Can I? Can I just go on a minute about impeachment because sure, it's pretty really fascinating. See, up till the convention in Philadelphia lasted just on f- under four months, and right at the end, about less than two weeks before the end, a major change was made. And that there was so much going on at the time, nobody even had a chance. Nobody talked about it. Here, here it is. Up to that point, the rule as to conviction is. The Senate could get rid of the president on a simple vote of a simple majority vote. Mm-hmm. And right at the end, they slipped in the two thirds. Mm-hmm. So, right now, after you want to impeach a president. What you're talking about basically is the president's one par- is in one party, mm-hmm. the House is majoritarian controlled by the other party, mm-hmm. and two thirds of the Senate is in the hands of the other party. Yeah. So, here's a trivia question when did this ever happen in American history? Two-thirds of a Senate and the House in one party and President in the other party. And I... I hmm. Go uh, ahead. Yeah, I'm I know. Sure. It's 1868. Andrew Johnson. Hmm. And hmm. you may remember John F. Kennedy's Profiles and Courage wrote about that particular vote and it talked about it a Kansas senator who switched his vote at the last moment hmm. to save um, the Johnson presidency. Hmm. And and Kennedy said, this guy's a hero. And the truth seems to be the Kansas senator was bribed, and it was Teddy Sorensen who wrote the book. Huh. Yeah. So, but for that, since you mentioned Clinton, the vote in the Senate was 50-50 to convict if we had kept the majority rule instead of the supermajority of two thirds, it would president. have been the decision would have been kicked over to the vice president, mm-hmm. who was Al Gore, and wouldn't have that have been the fun?
2: <laughs> well, it's, uh, it, it, we can laugh a little bit, but at the same time, I, I see things uh, really deteriorating in many ways. We talk about things on this show. About economics, primarily, but uh, you know the intervention of the president against the laws of economics, essentially, the yep. ability to uh, just to print money, the Federal Reserve having uh, to be—is uh, the Federal Reserve constitutional in your in your view?
5: Oh, that's um, yeah, I think it is, but I, you know, that that's too complicated to subject. Yeah. Here, here, here's what what troubles me: the Congress basically was supposed to be the body. Particularly the House that would take care of the spending. Uh, Money bills are to originate in the House, the Senate gets to amend, but it, you know, it it was a congressional thing. Well, right now, I mean, number one, as we noted, the bailout of the car manufacturers wasn't even appropriated. That's completely unconstitutional. And number two, with respect to the debt ceiling, the Republicans have punted. I mean, they gave the president a, a, a clean, um, Raise of the debt ceiling back in January, and all the all the arguments we had the deadlock of 2011. That's that's completely gone. I mean, it's it's just not the case that that Congress, even the House under the Republicans, will challenge the president. Mm-hmm. And I guess what they're doing is they're reacting to the electorate. I guess what they're saying is people want this.
2: Yeah, well, they, people want what. They they get what they want, ultimately, I suppose, in the short term. Yeah. What they think they want uh, it may not be in their best interest in the long run. But it seems
0: to me you that know, we, you, we...
5: Yeah, go ahead. You, yeah, you know H.L. Mencken's line about democracy? He said democracy is a system in which people get what they vote for, it and they,
2: then they get it good and hard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's right. But it, yeah. it really does seem to me that we have had um, you know a return to a kind of government that that we had a revolution against that's been my sense and uh and i think to a certain extent uh you you seem to be agreeing with that i look forward to uh to reading your book i i have not had a chance to do so yet i, I just found the the topic to be very interesting and i think very apropos for for all that's happening these days um your book is out I, I suppose people can buy it on the, on the internet or buy it uh, they can at buy it on
5: Amazon yep or uh-huh. they can go to their local bookstore and pick it up and take it over to the bestseller counter
2: okay <laughs> well we would like to see it on the bestseller list I think if we would uh, that would that would be a good sign for our future uh, yeah. any any other thoughts before we conclude our discussion
5: yeah one last one if you want a proof about where we're headed mm-hmm. there is some. Um, right now in Washington, the Democrats are really upset because people are putting money into Hillary's campaign in twenty sixteen and what they're not doing is fighting the battles in Congress. And a lot of people think Congress that you know that the the Senate'll flip over to the, the Repub- Republicans. Uh-huh, and so uh-huh. the Democrats are, are pretty upset. Well here's the thing. If you're a donor, are you gonna start stop giving money on to congressional candidates if they can't deliver if all the actions in the White House mm-hmm. you know why do we even need Congress? Right. Except if we abolished it, we, where would we do our State of the Union address? So uh-huh. the money is now flowing to the presidency and, that, that, and, and so money is intelligent and, and, and you know yeah. money will tell you where we're headed, the uh-huh. donors' money.
2: Yeah. Well, we better turn this around somehow, or else it—it uh, it seems to me that many things have been put in place now to virtually take all our liberties away. And if the—if uh, the president can issue executive orders without any constraints on that, it seems to me we're almost there uh, at this point in time. And I'm wondering if there's still hope. Oh well, never bet against the home team. Well, I guess you're right. I—I I, I guess. Uh, you know, people. You know, we got to be. as uh, crazy it, as it might seem. We have to be optimistic. Yeah, we do have to be optimistic, or else why to get up in the morning, right? And so yep. uh, we, we we do need to keep uh, to to keep hope um, and keep. Uh, and I think what you're doing is is a step in that direction to try to at least educate people, people who care at least. And uh, I guess my big concern is that. Um, Uh, A lot of the the connection between our liberties and the prosperity that we've enjoyed over the years, the connection between uh, sort of limited government is not something that is broadly taught in the the schools and universities. So I don't think people understand that. And unless people get out there and start letting, you know, unless people start to understand that, and I think your book probably goes in the right direction in that regard, then I guess uh, it is a relatively hopeless cause, but we do have to keep trying, don't we? Oh, we do the Once and Future King. I, I highly recommend it, and I do too. Uh, not having read it yet, but just on the basis of its title and our discussion today, I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you very much, uh, Professor, for being with us today, and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime in the not too distant future. Jay, thanks so much. It's been great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, that's just about all the time we have for the first hour of today's show, but immediately after this uh, show, as soon as we go to break, you can listen to a discussion that I will be having with Alistair McLeod of Gold Money, and that is at Jay Taylor Media, that's J-A-Y TaylorMedia.com, where I will ask Alistair about his views that China has more than likely cornered the gold market. He has recently written an essay that has gained a lot of traction on the Internet and even in the major media. And In that uh, essay, he has provided evidence that, for his view that the Chinese have imported and built up a massive amount of gold in the country, which may be very important in light of various other geopolitical and economic trends that are currently taking place. This is an extremely important discussion in my view, so I hope that you will immediately join me in my discussion with Alistair McLeod at jtaylormedia.com. Or if you can't listen to that immediately, you can go there subsequently anytime thereafter and download it as a podcast at jtaylormedia.com. As I noted earlier, next week I expect to have Jim Rickards with me. Uh, He was unable to come today uh, to the show because his wife is ill. But also Anthony Weil. Um, he's an investor and a proprietor of the widely read Daily Bell. He'll be joining me for the first time to add his views on investing and, of course, on gold. And my regular weekly guests, Daniel McAdams and David Jensen, I expect will also be with me next week to provide their insights into the drivers uh, in the equity markets and in the various markets around the world. It should be a really good show, so I do hope that you will join me next week here at Voice America or immediately after the show at jaytaylormedia.com to download podcasts. In closing, I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening to this show, and until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor.
3: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.
0: Canamax Resources has commenced a 10,000 meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58 meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex, and NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF.